An Aikido folktale. Oh, Sensei, the Aikido teacher, believed that people make their own heaven and hell right here on earth. Unfortunately, so few people seem to understand that life is what we choose to make of it in terms of our attitude and outlook. We create our own painful thoughts, which leads to negativity and the plugging up of the flow of chi. Aikido sensei Mitsugi Seotome recounted the following Japanese fable to illustrate this wonderful point in his book, Aikido and Harmony of Nature. I am reminded of an old Japanese folktale of an adventurous young man who wanted to know the difference between heaven and hell. He first looked upon hell and saw many people seated at a long table filled with the finest foods, but everyone had gaunt faces with sunken cheeks. They were thin and weak, crying in despair. A closer look revealed that their hands had only two fingers formed into the shape of hashi, Japanese chopsticks, four feet long. Although they could pick up the food, their fingers were so long that they could not get it into their mouths. In frustration, they were turning their tools into weapons, fighting selfishly among themselves for the food they could not eat. Then he looked upon heaven, and he saw the same long table with the same beautifully prepared food and the same long fingers. But everyone was laughing and smiling at the others. Their cheeks were full and glowing with health. There was no fighting, for they had picked up the food and extending it to the other side of the table, fed each other. What is the difference between heaven and hell? Consciousness, compassion, and cooperation. We need one another. I really learned about that this week. I had so many needs getting ready for the service today. It's amazing how many questions I asked in order to learn all the details of how you do things, and I'm sure there's still more. And you are a generous and giving and very caring congregation because everyone I asked wanted to help me to learn what I needed to know. And I thank you for that. Um, it's, it made coming this morning feel just right to me. So we do need one another. We often act as if we don't, but the truth is indisputable. As creatures with skin, we are made to touch and be touched, to rub against each other and to rub each other the wrong way. We are prickly and we are warm and fuzzy. We give each other goosebumps and sweaty palms. Our skin reveals us to each other. We get red in the face. We blush. We glow. We get under each other's skin. We get wounded. We carry the scars of being human. But we are also touched so deeply by tenderness, kindness, and the love of each other. We humans are made for one another. From our birth until our death, we need one another gentle hands along life's journey, helping us to discover the love that is greater than ourselves. As we hold each other in spirit, in community, in our hearts, we discover again and again that love which will not let us go, but will sustain us all of our days and give meaning to our lives.
We sang together a little while ago the early American hymn, What Wondrous Love Is This That Gives My Heart Such Bliss. The words had been adapted a little bit by a Unitarian Universalist poet, Connie Hart, to focus on the saving fellowship of friends, which I think this morning is just right for us. The essence of our song and the essence of the old song are essentially the same. We sing the same caring love that our religious forebearers sang when they came to this country because there is a love, a wondrous love, that holds us all of our days. We discover it, we sustain it, and we grow it together here in religious community. Our UU forebearers, the pilgrims and the Puritans, who crossed the ocean in search of a new home where they could have religious freedom, they understood that mutual needing and the power of mutual love is fundamental to human nature. They understood that it is more powerful than creeds or allegiances to one truth that's backed up by force and persecution. And so knowing this, they made covenants together to grow religious communities that were grounded above all else in love. And we today have inherited this centuries-old heritage of love. It's my hope this morning to invite you into conversation with me about what it means in our Unitarian Universalist societies and fellowships and churches today that we are covenanted congregations that are grounded in love. As you and I are just beginning to know each other, I as your intern minister, you as my teaching congregation, we are actually already in covenantal relationship together through our Unitarian Universalist Association. Even though we have not yet made any explicit promises to each other, those will actually be developed over the next month or so, we already are held in relationships that include each other. As members of the Unitarian, as a member myself of the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association, I have covenanted to serve my ministerial vocation in the spirit of love and justice. And I have some very specific covenantal promises I have made about how I will carry that out in relationship to you or to any congregation that I serve. Together this morning, we spoke your unison affirmation, which spells out this congregation's aspirations for how to be a community guided by love. And that affirmation finishes with the words, thus do we covenant with one another. And there's more that holds us together. If you look in your hymnal, and I invite you to do this now if you haven't recently, behind the table of contents in the front and behind the preface, there's a page where you'll find our statement of principles and sources. The principles and sources of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And it's written there that as a member congregation, you have freely covenanted to affirm and promote the seven principles of our association and the sources of our living tradition. And if you look down at the paragraph at the bottom of the page, it goes on to say that as a free congregation, 
you have promised your mutual support and trust to other member congregations in the association, just as they have made promises to you. It's based on that promising of mutual support that our chalice lighter call goes out every year. Uh, other years, you have come to the aid of other congregations. This year, you have asked other congregations in the district to come to your aid as you're seeking to fulfill your mission and your growth towards that mission. And I know the last two Sundays and again today and I believe for at least the rest of the month, you have members of your congregation out in the district seeking that mutual aid that is guaranteed by this covenant that we make together as congregations. So you and I in these promises and covenants are already woven together in a web, in a kind of skin of mutual support and trust with each other. Even before we come to know each other better, we have a basis for shared understanding, a starting place for how we will be together. This covenantal heritage of Unitarian Universalism and how we live into that in our tradition today is of great interest to me, both personally, but also in another role I play. I am the right relations consultant for our Metro New York district. On the personal side, some of you heard me say last week that many years ago I left the Protestant church because of creeds that I could no longer profess to believe. But after many years, and I was on my own, so to speak, during that time, I began searching for a spiritual community. That search led me to Unitarian Universalism. And I did that search because I had a yearning to be back in a community that was guided by love, to be back in the company of others who sought to live out lives of faithfulness and commitment to themselves and to their children. I wanted that in my own life. And I had a young son, um, my son is Peter, he's 20 now, who I wanted that community that I had felt as a child, that kind of fellowship, I wanted that for him. And so that's how I found my way into this amazing space that I have shared, that you share, uh, where love is spoken first not creeds and beliefs, even though those are important in our individual journeys. Many of you recall the joy that you felt if you were not born UU, the joy you felt of discovering a Unitarian Universalist congregation where covenants and affirmations created the way of being together. Our congregations are designed to support us, to provoke us, and to enhance our time on our individual spiritual journeys. But they give that journey a context. They bring a heritage, a rich heritage to draw upon. And the congregation gives us a mission, a way of focusing what grows within us and turning it out into the world. Now when I talk about my role as the right relations consultant, People are often surprised to hear that congregational growth and development covenanting is a part of that work. Uh, some people will ask me, what does it mean to be a right relations consultant? But most people assume it means that there are congregations out there doing something wrong, and so we need a right relations consultant to help them. And 
in some ways, I wouldn't really choose to look at it that way, but, but there, there are ways that we as humans have of behaving badly together. It is a part of being, of being human. And there are congregations that have allowed a kind of disruptive, extreme disruptive uh, and divisive behavior to grow up among them. And so there is a place to mediate and facilitate and help that congregation come round right, so to speak. And there are congregations who have had a history of abuse or neglect that are looking for healing and reconciliation in order to move forward in their life together. And that's another way of coming round right. So that is part of the work that I do. Uh, our 20, 20th century scholar and theologian James Luther Adams said that congregations are where we come to practice being human. I love that because we do that. And behaving badly towards each other, wounding each other, and getting wounded is at times the way we behave as humans. Very good people can find themselves in circumstances that are deeply conflicted and deeply divisive without being able to explain just how they got there. I've, I've been there, I'm sure you have as well. So the right relations work helps congregations to come round right, to bring greater love and respect and joy into their midst, and also to come together with good intentions, to discern deep loyalties and profound compassion. That's also our human way of being together. The promises that we freely make to each other in our shared religious life how we name our values and our priorities in religious community together. That's the process of covenanting that I'm speaking about. And then how we make those deeply shared commitments visible in our congregational life. That's the practice of being in right relationship with each other. So the question, how are we to be together is where we began an exploration of covenanting. And, it, and that question, how are we to be together, invites us to name out loud how we express that love that sustains us and beckons our life forward, how we name that together. Covenant pushes us to enlarge our sense of mutual caring that honors the legacy of the free church that we have as our inheritance. If we look back at our early history, we see that we emerged out of those free churches in the early American colonies. Those churches are foundational to both our Unitarian and our Universalist histories. Without covenants, there could not have been a free church. If you're not bound together by creed and belief, then you're bound together by your promises about how you will be together. Listen to this covenant going to sound surprisingly familiar to you. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other and with God. 
That's the doctrine of the free church from the Dedham Church in the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1630. How familiar that feels to what we spoke together this morning and what you speak every Sunday morning. It's quite remarkable. The spirit of love was foundational to the process and the organization of the early church and in many forms, uh, in many of those pilgrim and Puritan forms that created the congregational church that we have come from. Now, make no mistake, they also knew what they were against. They wanted to be free of external hierarchies of bishops and a pope. They wanted to be free of orthodoxy. They wanted to be self-governing in their local communities they claimed their, their independence from outside interference, but they were also clear about what they stood for. Through covenanting, their mission was made clear through their most deeply held priorities, to hold love, not creeds, as their doctrine, to dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to grow in harmony with the divine. Membership was granted to those who would covenant to abide within that community in their shared loyalties that were grounded in the spirit of love. Now, those of you who know American history know that there's some other chapters that I'm not talking about today of how those communities, even in their freedom, were able to become closed. And that's another sermon and another, another history lesson. But this foundation of circling together in covenant is the part of the tradition that we bring forward. The circling together in love, that is our heritage. And we affirm that we are empowered to self-govern in religious community. We affirm that we are bound together by a love that is greater than our individual selves. That this continuity has existed over centuries to survive even in our culture of extreme individualism and extreme self-interest is a profound statement, I believe, of the power of the religious legacy that we have received. The Reverend Alice Blair Wesley, who's a scholar of our covenantal tradition, has carefully examined our history of congregational life and congregational life today, and she has observed that we you use today are just as tenacious as our forebears about our independence and autonomy. That doesn't surprise any of us. We are just as tenacious about our freedom. But she does question whether we've become less discerning about the loves that we share, about the priorities that we share together in our lives. She asks, do we discern what are our right loves? Do we discern together what are our worthiest loves? What would these loves require of us if we were to be loyal to them in our words and in our deeds in all our lives? The Reverend John Buren, past president of the UUA, in speaking about covenants, said that congregations often treat them like bargains. I won't do this if you won't do that. And while it's true that we do want to create safe space for each other, covenants do sometimes become a laundry list of personal preferences and needs. Um, a shared statement that is designed to preserve 
individual autonomy above all else is not a covenant. It's a truce. We're seeking something different. And I would say your unison affirmation as a kind of covenanting together is very much about what will we share together. We are governed by congregational polity. We inherit that through the congregational church tradition. Some will tell you that our congregational polity means two things, that the church is free from interference, and also that we use Robert's rule of order in order to make our decisions. And that is true as far as it goes. But I will say to you that a congregation that has its priorities and its mission built around governance and committees and Robert's rules and the decision-making will lapse into an endless cycle of decisions about how to perpetuate the church's existence. And to what end if we are not called into this love that helps us define how are we to be together, to discover what sustains us as we grow in that process of shared discovery together. I'd like us to think back to the reading about the difference between heaven and hell because I think that story speaks to us about the difference between a congregation that embraces its covenantal mission and those that do not. The story makes a powerful theological statement. Alone, even in the midst of others, even in the midst of abundant food, we will starve unless we come to know our interdependence and cultivate the practice of feeding each other. The theologian Martin Buber put it this way, the real essence of community is found in the fact, manifest or otherwise, that community has a center. The real beginning of community is when the members have a common relationship to the center that overrides all other relations. The circle described is described by the radii from the center, not the points around the circumference. In the story, the individual's fingers reach out across the table and feed each other, giving life. The circle is described by that reaching, by the radii. The members share a common relationship to the center. Community forms around that sharing. How are we to be together spiritually? How are we to be together theologically, interpersonally, and emotionally? How are we to be together in learning, in worship, in fellowship? Every time we ask these questions of each other, it's important because we are discerning the promises that we make together to create this place of love and fellowship. In UU congregations, as individuals, we are encouraged and we are expected to be responsible for making meaning in our own individual lives. That is fundamental to Unitarian Universalism. We call that our spirituality, our personal religion. But by joining a Unitarian Universalist congregation, it's fair to say that we have been persuaded that we need community to help us along in our religious, in our spiritual journey. We need a place to grow in. We need a place to raise our children in love and compassion. We need a place that will challenge us to be greater 
in our understanding through heart and mind than we can create on our own. We need a place where we can share the struggles of justice seeking together and make more peace together. We might even sometimes be persuaded to limit a personal need or want for the sake of the common good. We might struggle to accept someone else's truth that we would not have been able to come to on our own. We may lament together a world that moves too slowly towards justice, but then we recommit together to re-engage the struggle. There is something fundamentally right in acknowledging the power of religious community to bind us together in that which we cannot accomplish alone. How deeply can we believe in the power of religious community? I think about that when I hear those demographic surveys that find that there are literally thousands of people out there who claim Unitarian Universalism as their tradition. But I ask, who are they? And where are they? And why aren't they here? If the truth be told, I doubt those surveys because those people aren't here. You are the ones that are here. You have taken the free step to join your personal religious journey to this congregation and relationship to the divine, the spirit of life, however that you name the love that is found here. You join your energies to those who come here to affirm the power of the spirit of love that leads us and discerns in these, of these deep loyalties that hold you together. And you have joined a covenantal tradition of Unitarian Universalism that has a heritage that came before us in a free church and a congregational polity and a mission that will continue even past our time, a mission of inclusive community standing on the side of love, building that within these walls and also out in the world. To touch and to be touched and then to reach out and embrace the world, there is no work more sacred or more sincerely committed to a future of promise and hope than this work that we covenant to do together here. May it be so.